The following sermon audio is from The Source Church in Plainfield, Illinois. More information about The Source Church can be found at www.thesourcechurch.life. All right. Good morning, everyone. For those who don't know, I am Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, we're going to read some scripture now. Would you mind standing as we read God's word? We've got a a four-part scripture reading, and they're all just like one verse. So, I mean, you can try to keep up with your Bibles, but you can also just look at the screen. So hear what God's holy word says. In Exodus 20, verse 12, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Leviticus 19, verse 32. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. And lastly, Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We thank God for his holy word. You can be seated. Now God's word says that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings should be made for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So especially given our text this morning's emphasis on authority, I want to take a minute and just pray along those lines. So please join me. Our great God, you are the author of all authority. Your word says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So first, Lord, we just want to thank you for your provision of government. Thank you for the justice that is meted out and the allocation of resources. It's imperfect because people are sinners, but it is still much, much better than going without that provision. So we thank you, Lord, for that mercy in our lives. And Lord, whatever our political priorities, we ask that you would forgive us when we have too often spoken in a demeaning manner about those who are in charge. Forgive us for despairing as if you were not on the throne, as if you had not handpicked each of these rulers for this time. And we don't always understand your purposes, God. We know they are complex. We know some of them are purposes of judgment. But Lord, we also know that your common grace shines often through the most unlikely of rulers. And so, Lord, we ask that you would protect and guide our rulers. Uh, We pray for President Biden, Vice President Harris. We pray for those in Congress, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Uh, Kevin McCarthy. God, we pray for the Supreme Court. We pray for our governor, Pritzker. Um, We pray for the State House 
and, um, and Lord, even our local rulers, the different mayors, city councils, for all of them, God, we ask that you would give them wisdom and that you would um, guide them toward your truth. We ask that many would come to know you precisely because of the, the pressures and uh, the realities that they witness in these roles that they've been given. So we ask, God, that you would work through them for our good and for the furtherance of your purposes and that you would give us the sort of submission that's talked about in your word here, that we would have quiet and peaceful lives and that we would be respectable. So we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, here this morning, we are in the fifth of the Ten Commandments. And uh, in many cultures, this one would just be a no-brainer, right? Like, of course you honor those in authority, whether in the family or in the community or in the government. But this is America. And uh, our whole sense of national identity was forged out of rebellion. And then... Over a century after that, we were proving that we were better than all the old world European powers. And then in the 20th century, our pop culture followed the trend of celebrating rebellion. From James Dean to Jane Fonda to Madonna and the Beastie Boys, Rage Against the Machine. And uh, recent researchers have said that many in Gen Z think that the most virtuous work is to be an activist. An activist, just period. It doesn't even matter what the specific cause is as long as you're an activist, as long as you're somehow screaming against the establishment. And to some degree, I think that's the air that all of us breathe. We really do think that we know better than our elders and our authorities and those who came before us. And if we were in charge of the world, everything would be fair and thriving. And that's why such a simple command to honor father and mother can feel a bit jarring. And we've talked about how these commands are a good gift from God to his people. They reveal God's character to us, and they also describe the righteous realm that he's brought us into. And we've also talked about how none of us have really kept any of these commands, and that's certainly true for the fifth commandment, and it's, it's certainly true even for me. So sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening to this later. Uh, let's just consider three big questions this morning. First, what does this commandment mean? Second, what makes obeying this commandment hard? And third, why does it matter? What does it mean? What makes it hard? Why does it matter? First, what does this commandment mean? Well, one mistake that people can make is thinking that this is somehow just an instruction for young children. But no, this is a command for everyone. You know, in ancient societies, they knew nothing of our modern tendency to, uh, to just be completely independent from the previous generation once we turn 18 or 22 because for them often three or four generations would live within the same house and families would often engage in the same work. But the question is how would the older ones be treated? Would they be considered a burden? Would their situation be compromised when they were no longer the main breadwinners? The Bible repeatedly asserts that the value of older generations involves much more than just their perceived usefulness to the younger members of society. And that's why in Deuteronomy, there's instructions for the harshest of penalties to be given to youth who curse or who strike their parents. 
And even when we're grown up, the book of Proverbs, as we read earlier, instructs us to listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. So notice also that this command says to honor father and mother. It's not patriarchal. It's not matriarchal. It doesn't give us the option of choosing one parent based on who was there for us more or who we're more similar to. This command is about showing honor that the role of parent is owed, not necessarily the honor that a specific parent has earned or not. So father and mother equally. And in a healthy family, that's, that's what it'll look like. Both parents will be honored. And this means that the spouse does their family great harm if they teach their kids by example not to honor the father or not to honor the mother. So husbands and wives, even if you're fighting, even if your marriage is a mess, be sure to always speak honorably about your spouse in the presence of your kids. Because if you don't, even if that spouse isn't deserving of honor, it does affect your kids' view of authority in general, and it does affect their view of their own worth. More on that later. But what do we make of this word honor, to honor? A very wooden translation from the Hebrew verb would be to make weighty. You see, when we don't take people seriously, we esteem their worth or their reputation very lightly. But if someone deserves our respect, then there's a weight there. It's heavy. It makes a heavy impact on how we interact with them or how we talk about them. Or another way to translate to honor might be to prize highly. When we honor someone, when we give them weight, when we prize them highly, does that impact just the way we behave around them? The outward respect we show them? No, it, it also involves the way we speak, the way we speak to them or the way we speak about them. And if we're going to act or speak with honor, then like, if we're going to be sincere in that, we're going to have to first honor someone in our own thoughts and our own emotions. So this is actually requiring a whole consistent perspective where we hold this person in dignity throughout our, our thoughts and our words and our deeds. And because it involves the whole spectrum of our reaction to our parents, it means that this command is to be obeyed not only in the public eye, but also in our private conversations. Now, to make things less abstract, let's, let's think about honoring as basically involving three components. The first one would be revering someone. To revere them. That's how we think about them. There's this weightiness or this awe almost in how they exist in our minds. To honor means to revere. But secondly, to honor parents also means to obey them with our actions. We obey them. And this would have been obvious to the Hebrew audience, and it becomes very clear even to us when the Apostle Paul reteaches this command in that Ephesians 6 passage. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he backs that up by quoting from Exodus 20:12, honor your father and mother. Notice he does say, obey your parents in the Lord. So if your parent tells you to do something immoral, you can and you should disobey, whether you're 8 or 58. But on the whole, we should be willing to ask um, our parents, what, what do you want me to do? And we should be willing to obey. Now, any older kids who are here this morning? I'm not sure. Okay, yeah, I've got, got a few older kids. Uh, you realize this, don't you, that it's just not cool in God's eyes to talk back to your parents or to test their limits or to hide your actions from them. And that's not because God wants you held back in a repressive way, it's because he wants you to flourish. 
when we're young, everything just feels so urgent. Like if we miss out on some certain opportunity, we're going to regret it forever. And when we're young, like our own way of thinking seems so clear. And our parents' concerns for us can feel so stupid and pointless. But the truth of the matter is that none of us see as clearly as we think we do. And I'm not trying to talk down to you kids. Like, I remember very clearly what it's like. And I know that even young minds and personalities are capable of great wisdom and courage and beautiful desires. But while we feel that that life is so short and we just have to get after it, the truth of the matter is life is also very long. And for these first years, you've been assigned by God into the care of specific parents for your good. They're giving you training for life. Any type of training can be hard or boring. If you want to be an excellent athlete, you can't just focus on the aspects of the sport that come most naturally to you or that are most enjoyable to you. You have to submit to a a coach's whole program of uh, helping you to identify your weaknesses and then getting after those in a controlled environment. And the same goes for learning music or math or woodworking or whatever. You have to learn the skills by doing the drills. And only once you're past that tutor's realm of influence, you can look back and you can see all the good that they did you. And it's, it's just the same growing up. Obey your parents. And when you're finally out on your own, then the beauty of who God made you to be is going to be well cultivated. And your ability to navigate this world is going to be fuller than if you fought tooth and nail against your parents' voice in your teenage life. Now, it's worth noting that disobedience to parents is viewed as really dangerous in the scriptures. When Romans chapter 1 is painting a picture of God giving people over to the fruit of their dark minds, it describes the end result like this. It says, They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. If disobedient to parents seems out of place in that list, it's really just because we don't really understand the dangerous path that that choice sets us on. Now, obviously, as we age, there's a gradient of appropriateness to a parent's expectation for us to obey, right? It's valid for me to tell my five-year-old son, hey, I don't want you to wear that shirt today. Put this one on instead. But I probably shouldn't tell that to my 35-year-old son. Or I could tell my 17-year-old girl, you are not going to date that boy. Uh, My father-in-law did that to my wife, and I'm eternally grateful. Uh, (laughs) But I should probably be careful about how freely I give unsolicited advice to my 27-year-old daughter about her relationships. Now, if we've cultivated a culture of mutual care and respect, then she will ask for my input anyway. But there's this, there's this natural leaving of the parental domain that's according to God's design. And if a parent is trying to control an adult child's food choices or vacation plans or home purchases, we might say that it's the parent and not the child who needs to grow up. That doesn't change, though, the general rule that when a child lives under a parent's roof and is funded by their provision, they should obey. And when a child is an adult, now separate from their parents, they should still delight in obeying their parents, especially if it's a matter in which the parent needs the child's help 
or if it's a way in which the parent is exhorting the adult child to live for God and not for fleeting pleasure. So honoring means a certain reverence. Honoring means obedience. Honoring also means gratitude. Kids, do you say thank you to your parents for all the good things that they give you, for the birthday parties and the late night advice and the help with homework and the fun weekend outings? Do you have a grateful heart that sees how much they want for you and how they make sacrifices in order to make those things happen? Or do you just expect more and more and more? Do you discourage them with your constant discontentment? If so, that's just not going to be to your your advantage. And it's not what God asks of you. And if you can't be thankful to your parents, who you can see, then how are you ever going to cultivate a heart of thankfulness to God who you can't see? And adults, are you grateful for the good efforts of your imperfect parents? Have you said thank you lately? That's one practical application for each of us. If your parents are still alive, tell them thanks again. Thanks for the sleepless nights. Thanks for cleaning up my puke. Thanks for shelling out so much money for my welfare. And thanks for putting up with my foolishness and instructing me when I was blind. However much they were there for you, thank them for being there. That's going to honor them and it'll be good for your soul. So I think we have a general feel for what this fifth commandment means now. So let's ask What makes this command to honor our parents difficult? Why might we gulp when we hear it? For some of us, maybe it's not hard at all. Maybe we really had godly parents and they delighted in us and they passed along wisdom and they were involved in our lives, but they weren't overbearing, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's always been natural to honor them. Great. I mean, I I would say don't check out of this sermon at this point because no parent is perfect and it could be that the, the priorities or the misunderstanding is uh, just around the corner that's, that's going to test your relationship that could still come. Um, and it, I'll also say that if you had really great parents, it could be that some of the honor and the loyalty that you owe to God alone, maybe you've given too much to your parents because little tastes of heaven on earth can sometimes make us nearsighted. And we can forget to look past our great but fleeting families to God who is building an eternal family. So if that's you, I I just want to refer you back to the second commandment that deals with idolatry. There is such a thing as idolatry of family. But even if I'm wrong about that in your case, I hope I am, keep listening. And I hope that you'll use the, the gift of great parents as an opportunity to give thanks to God and also that you will uh, learn to walk with others through their struggles because it might be hard for your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ to honor their parents in some day, in some way. And so you can uh, come alongside them in that struggle. So for those of you who might gulp when you hear this commandment, or at the very least, you pause a second to consider the complexity of how this actually plays out. Let's talk about why it might be hard. Some of you, even if your parents, by God's grace, did a really good job, they don't know Christ. And so it's, it's just complicated. It's not that they were bad parents or that they want bad things for you or that they're completely unreasonable. They just don't understand this primary loyalty of yours to God, and so it can create tension at times. They might push back against how you spend your time or, or choices you make for your kids or your career or the worldview that isn't quite how they raise you to think. 
So if that describes your situation at all, it's all the more important that you find ways to honor them. You're going out of your way to honor those unbelieving parents uh, when you can with a good conscience. That can be the thing that begins to soften them and open them up to the beauty of Christ. And know also that uh, if it's ever possible for us to cross paths, your church wants to help you in that. How beautiful would it be if unbelieving parents were just overwhelmed by the sincere care and affection shown to them, not only by their kids, but also by their kids' church friends who suddenly don't seem so threatening anymore. Well, whether your parents claim to be Christians or not, another problem is that some of you just had bad parents. Maybe there was horrific abuse. Maybe there was negligence or absence. Maybe there was manipulation or brutal control. Maybe they didn't cultivate who God made you to be, but instead they seemed to smash it into the ground. Even if that was the case, yes, this commandment is still for you. It'll just take more creativity and courage to obey it. Now, I want to be clear here that if it's a, a criminally abusive situation, then the best way to honor your parents is to call the police, to force them to deal with reality, to give them the chance to change through consequences. It would actually be unloving to leave that hidden even if it did seem for a moment to preserve some semblance of relationship. But even apart from something terrifying like that, honoring bad parents can still be scary. I know a woman who knew of her father, but she never knew her father. And then after her mom died, she decided, you know what, I think it would honor God for me to reach out and attempt to just show him a bit of honor. And she didn't have any delusions that they would somehow form a, a deep relationship. She just wanted to acknowledge his existence in a positive way. So she got him to meet for coffee, and uh, the result was horrific. He told her that he had instructed her mom to abort her, and he accused her that she was just trying to get together with him now to get his money. So, yes, attempts to honor parents can backfire in painful ways. But then again, obedience to any of God's commands requires faith. And if there's something blocking your relationship with your parents, it could be that you need to address that head on. Not in an accusing, self-justified way, but in a vulnerable, like, hey, I'm trying to come to terms with this way, and I care about you too much to, to not talk about this. It's scary to do that. And it might end in disaster. And if that's the case, God will meet you in that. But it could also result in beauty. At other times, the best way to honor our parents is just to move forward in forgiveness and leave their worst contributions unspoken of. But how do you know which is the case? To confront or, or to leave unspoken. It requires a lot of wisdom, a lot of self-awareness. Because you want to be acting out of faith. You don't want to confront out of anger. You also don't want to stay silent out of fear. And so wrestle with that. And maybe the answer today is different from what the answer is going to be five years from now. And if your parents really left some damage in your life, I want to say a few things to you. One, acknowledge it. 
there is this strategy for survival that comes naturally to us um, where it, it relies on a denial that there's really anything out of the ordinary there. So we say, sure, yeah, I, I had a rough childhood, but who didn't? I'm fine, okay? They kept me alive, and now we can just get on with the future. And this sort of denial can work pretty well for a while. It's, it's, it's certainly more effective. It's a more effective way of coping than the chronic victim mentality that's so popular today. But there's also an honest approach that's in between, you don't have to play the victim, or, and you don't have to deny the reality either. Because if we're just shoving down the hurts we've experienced, then you know what happens? We get into our middle adult years, and we're learning to parent kids of our own, and then we start to tank. Because we see that our past interactions with our parents actually inform way more of who we are today and of how we parent than we would like to think. And that tanking can happen either through falling into similar weaknesses as our parents, or it can happen by overcorrecting and leaving your kids hurt or, or suppressed or deprived in ways that we're not even aware of because we're so focused on not doing what our parents did. All this to say, it's complex and it requires honest reflection and it requires courage to keep pursuing relationship with those parents. Healing is not gonna come if you're only working with a caricature in your mind of who your parent is rather than actually knowing who they are today because it could be that God is already changing them more than you know. It could be that God wants to use your continued time together to allow their good words and actions toward you today to stitch up those rough places from the past. Also, improving hard relationships requires wisdom that comes from God's word and from godly counsel. Downstairs, you may have seen the rack of free pamphlets we have from the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. I want to encourage you to just take those whenever it's relevant to your situation. So, for example, I've got two here. Uh, one is called How to Love Difficult Parents, Wisdom for a Challenging Relationship. Another is called Life Beyond Your Parents' Mistakes, the transforming power of God's love. So you can read stuff like this. I could refer you to some other books, but also beyond just reading, let's also have conversations. Reach out to one of the pastors. Reach out to a mature believer in your life group for help in thinking through, how do I go about honoring not just parents in general, but specifically my parents in my unique situation? And if you have a somewhat broken relationship with one or both parents, another question is how do you honor them when the next generation comes along? This commandment likely means that you should attempt to give your parents and your kids the joy of a fresh start. Speak well of your parents around your kids. Let those grandparent-grandchild relationships serve as an avenue of grace. And as those kids get older, they might start to observe some unhealthy or confusing aspects to their own interactions with their grandparents. And if that comes, you can connect some dots for them in, in order to equip them to guard themselves a bit while still encouraging them to enjoy time with their grandparents. And you know, sometimes the stubborn love of a grandchild can be just what a grandparent needs in order to grow. 
And your children can be a bridge of sorts in that way. Your children can also work as a bridge the other way too, right? Because it could be that the questions that they ask and the observations they make about your parents could help you to see that you're responsible for some of the damage in the relationship that needs to be addressed. And maybe, maybe as a teen or a young adult, you just recoiled too strongly when, truth be told, your parents were doing the best they knew how. So if we're growing in wisdom, we're going to be able to acknowledge our own contributions as well and, and see you know, those ways in which maybe in our youthful impetuousness we actually poured gasoline on that fire. And that ownership by us can then help our kids to see things even more clearly than we ever did or our parents did at that age. Now another way that this command could be difficult for some of you, one or both parents are no longer living. And maybe it's even hurtful to think about honoring them because you have some regrets that you're not able to do anything about. Or maybe for your part you tried, but there was some wall there of their own making and now it's too late. Well, one way that you can get after obeying this command is by processing all of that with God and maybe with a pastor or Christian friends as well and talk about the ways that you were hurt and make a decision and a commitment in your heart to forgive that parent as, as frequently as you need to return to that commitment. And even though you don't have the opportunity to communicate that forgiveness to them, it's still going to make a massive difference in your own life and for the rest of your family. Also, confess any sin that you see in your past interactions with them. Let the church remind you that as we bring those things into the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But beyond just dealing with the past, we can also make a new future. Even though in this situation we can't get after the letter of the law because um, our parents are gone, we can still get after the spirit of the law. So who else that's still alive has acted like a good parent in your life? Maybe it's someone in the church, like a spiritual mother or father, maybe a teacher or mentor or neighbor or a caring boss along the way. You can honor that person. Maybe you've fallen out of contact with them. You can, you can reinitiate that relationship, and maybe you'll find that they have very real needs now that you could help them with. You can honor them in that way, or at the very least, you could encourage them by telling them about the good fruit you see in your life that's a direct result of their investment. And if you take steps like that, I think you'll find that it addresses a bit of the hurt that remains from the actual um, lack of closure with your own parents. It's also never too late to adopt parents. You can get after the spirit of this command by looking out not only for your own parents, but also for all who are a generation older than you. So even if you're 70 years old, why not make a habit of checking in on that 90-year-old in your neighborhood? Not only to help them with tasks and, and to keep them company, but also to learn from them. Like Who couldn't learn something from someone born in the 1930s or 40s? And it's likely that they feel silenced by our culture's worship of youth. And so they would feel greatly honored if you valued their counsel in your life. And that brings us to another reason that this commandment is difficult. The aging of our parents can often create difficulties in knowing how best to honor them. 
what if you want to honor them by assuring their, their physical safety and their best medical care, but they resent that involvement and they don't openly share about their problems? What if they're so afraid of having to leave their home that they foolishly insist on independence? It can sometimes feel like all the blindness that you had as a teenager has now gone straight to your parents in their declining years. And maybe there's a sort of divine justice in that. But this is all part of honoring our parents. Just as they gave sacrificially when we were young, even at times when we were fighting against the good that they were trying to do, so also we need to give sacrificially to them when they're old, even if they seem to be fighting against the good we're trying to do. It takes courage and wisdom, especially if there's a a quick physical or cognitive decline happening. You might need to open your home and arrange, uh, rearrange your whole routine in order to care for them. You might need to simplify your life so that you have opportunity to regularly visit them and work for their well-being. And those sacrifices may not be fun. And at times, it might feel like they're coming at cost to your own kids. But that's not the right perspective. Our kids need to understand aging and dying. Our kids need to see that elderly people have equal dignity as God's image bearers. And whatever standard of honor we use for our parents, you'd better believe that that's going to leave an impact on your kids as they consider your later years. Ultimately, the way that we care for our aging parents has impact for how we view weak people of all sorts in the world. You know, it's very common in our society to just park elderly people in front of a TV and instead of patiently sitting with them and seeking to understand them, we treat them as sad and irrelevant. And we speak loudly to them even if they can hear us just fine. And we we talk down to them as if they were small children uh, or we patronize them as if they can no longer have serious conversations. We're too busy to slow down and to honor them. And in that, we are diminishing the dignity that's given to humanity as a whole. So as we honor our fathers and our mothers, even through misunderstanding and hurt and cancer and dementia, we make a huge theological statement about the worth of a human life. And here we're already getting into our final question about this commandment. Why does it matter? Let's take a step back and make some observations about the placement of this fifth commandment. So we'll put up an outline of the Ten Commandments. And uh, you can see that before this commandment are four commandments that pertain directly to God. Honor him alone. Don't dishonor him by limiting him to an image of your own making. Honor his name. Honor his day. And you can see sort of the, the flow that involves our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Then at the end of the Decalogue, we've got five commandments that pertain to our treatment of others in society. So our neighbors, broadly speaking, and and how we honor them with our actions, words, and thoughts. But here in the middle, here in the middle is this fifth commandment that pertains to our parents. Our most immediate authority figures placed over us by the ultimate authority. And it's interesting to think about the relationship of the word authority to the word author. God is the author of our lives. And in our story, he has written in other authors of another kind. And how we treat them 
and their authority is proxy for our attitude toward God's authority over us in general. So this command is a bridge between honoring God directly and honoring people who are made in his image. This is also the only commandment that comes with a promised good consequence, as the Ephesians passage points out. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Or it could also be translated, live long on the earth. So just as with the Sabbath command where there was a certain blessing baked into the very nature of creation, so also here we see a promise that good things are going to happen when we honor our fathers and mothers. There's a stability, a consistency, a longevity that flows out of that. And many commentators have noted that civilizations rise or fall based on how the young treat their elders. When societies are healthy and thriving, parents are honored. But when societies are fragmented and are drifting into oppression, the young lack any attachment to the old. And often they're encouraged, either by popular culture or by the state, to reject the influence of older generations. When Israel was under slavery in Egypt, families weren't allowed to flourish. Pharaoh separated families for labor, parents died early, and then you remember when the edict was given for the baby boys to be thrown into the Nile, parents were just expected to go along with it. This is what happens in a society when the rulers want absolute control. They seek to disrupt family connection and loyalties. And that's why in the Chinese Cultural Revolution or in North Korea today, you have children turning in their Christian parents, even resulting in their death. And Jesus promised us that this would happen. A society that hates Christ seeks to compromise family connections. And so we indirectly bless all of society when we learn to honor our imperfect parents and to follow their lead rather than the substitute parental voice of dominant culture. So God's laws allow us to live in community as it ought to be. They're an avenue by which his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's not to say that America is somehow going to thrive just through us honoring our parents. I mean, maybe our country will one day turn from its addiction to rejecting authority, or maybe it won't. But what I'm getting at is that ultimately we, we live differently because by God's spirit, we are building a different sort of society altogether. We're preparing to live well in Emmanuel's land, in the better country, in the new heavens and new earth. Because the church is an outpost or a consulate for the kingdom of heaven. So it's a place that is opposite from our culture, which thinks that youth and, and superficial beauty are all that matter. Here in the church of God, we know as the psalmist says, that the righteous still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare the goodness of the Lord. So instead of being irrelevant or threatening to us, we see them as God's gift to us. As one author put it, they are forward scouts for us in the wilderness of time. They model courage and faith. They harvest wisdom and perspective and they pass it back to we who need it most. So this command to honor our fathers and our mothers, it matters because it shows that we understand the mutual care and the life-giving culture of the lasting realm that Christ is ushering in. And a final reason that this commandment matters is that it points us to Jesus Christ. 
we've talked about how none of us have honored God by rightly honoring our father and mother. But our good heavenly father didn't turn away from us. Instead, he sent his son who would honor him. The man, Jesus Christ, perfectly honored both God the Father and his mother Mary and his adopted father Joseph. There's this interesting scene in uh, the Gospel of Luke where 12-year-old Jesus just disappears and they find him three days later in the temple listening to the teachers and asking them questions and answering their questions. And, and Jesus tells Mary and Joseph, didn't you know I should be in my father's house? And what he's getting after is that the only reason he wouldn't fulfill their expectations of him would be if he was busy obeying his true father. But the text then makes a point to say that Jesus went back to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And then in in, uh, John 2, we see that Jesus honors his mother's request that he start his public ministry by helping some family friends. And then... While he's dying on the cross, as Jesus is accomplishing the most important and difficult task in the whole of history, he takes a moment to provide for his mother's practical needs by telling John to take her into his household. Jesus said to his enemies, I honor my father, but you dishonor me. He told his disciples, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And before the cross, he prayed to the Father. He said, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So the good news is that though we have not honored our parents or our heavenly father rightly, he sent his obedient son to restore us to right relationship. And now by his spirit, we who are in Christ are being conformed to the image of the obedient son. And what this means for us is that first of all, we're not condemned for how we have failed to obey the law of God. It also means that we have every reason to hope in a different future, one where we will honor our parents and our God with gladness. And we'll do it not by pretending that the challenges aren't real and not by simply gritting our teeth and trying harder. We'll do it by trusting Christ more, who sends his spirit to write the law on our very hearts. So let's ask him for help right now. Our kind Father, our gracious God, you know our struggles in this area. You know the situations that each of us in this room are facing with our parents. For some of us, it's, it's pretty easy going right now. For others, it, it couldn't be more challenging. And so Lord, I ask that you'd help us to think clearly about these things, to have great faith and wisdom, and courage to get the help we need, to be humble in asking for help, to be humble in the conversations we have with our parents or with our kids. And so, Lord, we ask that you would use this commandment to keep forming us into a people that pleases you, a people who will live long in the land of your own making. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.